This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. There's a new obstacle course facing young adults, the under-35 crowd, as they try to build careers and buy homes, start families. Getting ahead is getting harder. Tamara Drought's new book, Strapped, Why America's 20- and 30-somethings Can't Get Ahead, looks at why young adults are starting out behind the financial eight ball, borrowing their way into adulthood and wondering whatever happened to the American dream. Drought is director of the Economic Opportunity Program at Demos, a national think tank headquartered in New York. Her work on debt has been covered extensively by dozens of newspapers, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. Tamara Drought, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hi, good to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good. What's, what's the weather back What's the weather like back there? Well, the, we're uh, starting to see spring finally, oh. so no complaints. Yeah. yeah, we got rain out here. So yeah. it's 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 a flip flop world. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> now, uh, strapped. What inspired you to write this book? Was there any particular point in time where you said you just got to uh, you know look at this more closely, or is this something you've been working on for quite a while? Um, a couple reasons. You know, in the work that I do at Demos, I've been looking at. You know, major public policy shifts over the last three decades and and um, changes in the economy and things like that. And what I realized is that, you know, a lot of this explains why it seems this generation in their 20s and 30s is having such a hard time uh, getting their financial bearings, getting into the middle class, and getting out of debt. Um, you know, this is an age where all the major decisions about life are getting made, and the reality is is that the new economy, the the shift in some of our public policy priorities has really created uh, a bunch of new hurdles for this generation. Can you give us a, a few examples? Sure. Well, let's just start with um, the earnings picture for uh, young workers. You know, if you look at what has happened to the typical earnings of a 25- to 34-year-old with a college degree, they've actually lost ground, particularly over the last five years, but the overall trend line compared to to what their parents were earning a generation ago is flat. At the same time, there's now enormous student loan debt that college uh, grads face, $20,000 on average. And we know that the cost of things like housing and health care have risen much, much faster than inflation. So your, your young college grads starting out in the labor market, um, their earnings have not grown to keep up with the cost, and uh, the additional student loan debt burden um, is making it much more difficult for them to make ends meet. Yeah, can you? It's hard to. I mean, just imagine you, know, you want to buy a car, which is twenty fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars now. You want to, you have student loans, and you've got to find a place to live, especially in the in sort of the urban areas. You're really strapped for. I mean, really into a lot of money for these places. So, I know people from where I work that are moving to Washington State, Oregon, Idaho, these places because they can't afford ho- housing. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, there's a couple ways that young people are coping. Um, one, they're moving back in with their parents, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, usually not ideal for them or their parents, but is a great way to save money mm-hmm. uh, before you have to pay rent. 
you know, you, you hit the nail right on the head. The reality is that young people are often caught between a rock and a hard place, particularly young college grads, because the reality is our hottest job markets still tend to be clustered around our largest, most expensive cities. So young people are taking on very long commutes, particularly after they start a family. You know, we've had the, the booming of the, the exurbs and, and people taking on, you know, two-hour commutes in order to, to find a house they can afford and, and get to work. Um, and young people in general are just taking on much bigger mortgages and paying more each month in rent than the previous generation. Is, is there one main factor you think that's causing all this or is it just a, a combination of a lot of different things was it, i guess really what i say is is there a point in time that you can that you can go to to say this is when it when this phenomena first happened well a lot of it is the result of public policy changes you know over the last two decades uh beginning in the 1980s at the federal level we have made grant aid a much smaller piece of the pie and created what i call a debt for diploma system that is strangling young people's uh, options when they leave college. Um, at the state level, you know, states started scaling back in terms of um, their funding for higher education, uh, again, um, in the 1980s. And so today there's just a new report out um, that uh, we're at a 25-year low in terms of state funding of higher education, which has led to uh, tuition skyrocketing, um, and the reality is today it's much harder for uh, a young person to afford a college degree than it was a generation ago at a time when it's become absolutely necessary for getting into the middle class. Uh, do you know exactly why th- uh, that occurred, the, the, uh, the state uh, lack of funding for higher education? is Was it a product of, of you know, the, the California Prop 13 uh, you know, just spreading out across the country? Was it uh, a lack of revenue sharing, or was it wh- right. what exactly happened? Well, I think it's a combination of things. Um, one, particularly in the 1990s, it was a, a function of uh, not holding on to a rainy day fund and instead immediately cutting taxes. Um, <laughs> but I think in general, the the public policy shift in this country um is part of a larger ideological shift where we have steadily sort of privatized uh, and and made the shift from this idea that we are all in it together, and if you do your part as a society, we're going to make sure if you work hard you get ahead, to really putting most most of the risk and burden onto the individual shoulders um, and stepping away from funding our public structures like higher education and public schools and uh, keeping the minimum wage. Um, Depressed. Uh, keep, yeah, not ra- uh, raising the minimum wage, not fixing the health care problem. You know, the reality is anything that benefits the common good, if you look at the trend line over the last three decades, it's been in decline. Yeah. And young people struggle to get, get ahead is really the fallout of that. Well, this, in fact, has been um, the fork in the road really was the Reagan administration, wasn't it? It was, and and while Reagan is is long gone, um, the impact and the the ideological shift which which he really symbolized um, is still with us today in terms of uh, what's on the agenda, how states are um, spending their revenues, and what they're spending it on, and where we're at in the federal level in terms of um, 
you know, the the price we're paying for the tax cuts, which mostly went to the wealthy, um, in terms of our deficit and and the debt that's being generated that, in large part, today's young is going to be responsible for. One of minor listeners, we're speaking with uh, Tamara Drought, and she's the author of Strapped, Why America's 20s, 20 and 30-somethings Can't Get Ahead. This is really kind of the, well, I don't know if it's the culmination, but certainly along the to- along ways towards the culmination of the ownership society. Isn't that the sort of political uh, cover that's been given to uh, to a lot of the programs, a lot of the changes in programs you're talking about? I think so, and and it's not about ownership in in terms of uh, assets. It's about ownership of total risk and responsibility, right. and it, it's about devolving everything to the individual, and so that then we can say, if somebody isn't getting ahead, it's because they're not working hard enough. Um, yeah. And I think we're beginning to see that most people realize that isn't the best way to structure our society. You know, economic mobility has declined in this country. Um, something I think which is is a direct threat to most people's idea of the American dream. And and this does go. I'm going to just pull out my uh, my socialist card here for a second. By doing <laughs> this, isn't this really un, is it's disenfranchised? It's it's the the collective em, employee employment pool is not nearly as strong as it was because they don't have the leverage. They don't have the political leverage to fight some of these changes. By dispersing this responsibility, then you really don't have... And that's government. Really what government's always been about is providing some accountability. You have accountability with government. When it's a private company, your ability to to keep them accountable is diminished dramatically. Absolutely. And, and, um, long ways to say yeah, and, and if you look at how this generation feels about government, um, you know, you can tell that, that today's 20 and 30-somethings came of age uh, during Reagan and um, the ensuing years, and we're told over and over that government's the problem, not the solution. Right. Um, and so as a result, we have a whole generation that doesn't hold their elected officials accountable, doesn't look to government as um, – playing a role in society, particularly in generating opportunity and economic prosperity, something that is central um, and has been central to um, building the middle class in this country. So absolutely, I think it's it's no um, coincidence that today most young people don't look to government um, to to do anything for them and as a result have not been keeping up with politics and, and not holding their elected officials accountable. So it is manifesting itself in lower turnout, lower registration numbers and lower turnout among these these 20 and 30-somethings, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, this generation, um, if you compare their knowledge of public affairs to any other generation when they were this age, um, they're just not following the news. They're not keeping up with current affairs, and a lot of it has to do, and a, and a main reason I wanted to write the book, um, is that the ability to make the connection between the personal and political um, is not part of this generation's DNA. You know, the, the previous generation, the baby boomers, fought for major social reform and won them based on this idea that the personal is political. So one of the things I try and do when I, I talk to young people and I've been out on my book tour is and hopefully when they read the book, is realize that public policy has a direct impact on their lives. And while we haven't been paying attention, the rug has really been pulled out from under us. Mm-hmm. Well, well uh, 
what can they do? I mean, what, what do you think? I guess what I want to say now is, is there any hope? Do you think that they're locked into uh, distrusting government, or do you see any positive trends to change that? There are some positive trends. If you look at um, the, the Gen X group, which right now is about 26 to age 40, um, compared to those younger, the 18 to 24, the people who just got uh, just got to vote for the first time in the last presidential election. Um, they're a lot more optimistic, and they are much more sort of collective thinkers, whereas Gen X is more individualistic in terms of how it views the world. So I think there is going to be a change um, as Generation Y or the Millennials or whatever you want to call them is aging into adulthood. Um, that said, they can't do it alone. Um, you know, the, these two generations are going to be, in terms of at the ballot box, um, going to have to turn out in much higher numbers um, to have their vote uh, make an impact when it's held up against the baby boomers and the older generation. How much uh, of an impact, uh, and this is again another government policy, uh, has uh, by allowing companies to have tax breaks to ship jobs overseas, how much is outsourcing affected the 20 and 30s? That's a hard question to know. I mean, I think we're still working through the effects of outsourcing. Um, one of the bigger problems facing this generation, though, is for the jobs that are still here um, and are replacing uh, the jobs that we continue to lose aren't well-paying jobs. You know, um, this generation is looking at the na- is entering a labor market where Walmart is our nation's biggest employer. And they pay about seven bucks, eight bucks an hour, um, no health care benefits, no pension benefits. Whereas the previous generation entered a labor market where GM was the nation's largest employer. Mm-hmm. So there, I think the bigger issue than outsourcing is, is how do we commit to making the new jobs that are being created here that can't be outsourced, that have to stay here, what are we doing to make sure that those are decent, good-paying jobs? And right now we're not doing much. Well, we... I want to remind our listeners of speaking with Tamara Drought, and she's the author of Strapped, Why America's 20 and 30-somethings Can't Get Ahead. I want to, I'm, I'm going to offer a, 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 some part of a, um, a solution, maybe. Oh, and, right yeah, here. Help, right, yeah, so you can write the, you know, yeah. you can write that you, fa- you found the answer here on, on Weekly Signals. No, I mean, the, I see one way of sort of reinvigorating the manufacturing base in this country, and we've lost a vast majority of the manufacturing base, we're now left as more more or less a service sector economy. Is that is that a fair statement to me? I think that's definitely a fair statement. Yep. Well, what about? And this would take a radical change in the political scheme, but um, about some large public works projects, manufacturing um, the stuff that we would need for a rail system, a, a, a nationwide rail system. We need desperately to revamp our transportation system. And that means light rail and heavy rail and public works projects like energy conservation, public um, energy, um, what am I saying, Pu- energy public works projects. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that would, in fact, be, first of all, it would it would give people opportunities for good jobs, middle class, at least middle class jobs. And secondly, it would reconnect them with the role of of a government that they could be um, be a part of. Is it? <laughs> I, I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. You know, um, the 
unfortunately, it's against all of the current political thinking, um, which is supply-side economics, tax cuts are going to, you know, improve the economy and get everything done, Um, whereas what you're talking about, and and I completely agree with you, is um, more of the the old Keynesian economics, that the government, um, through deficit spending and spending in general, can revitalize the economy, and we need to be doing all of the things you're talking about, our infrastructure, whether it's uh, the public schools where our citizens are educated right. to our rail system is in great need of repair and innovation. And uh, that would be a wonderful way to give people more hope and, and better jobs. And I know this is being kicked around a little bit now, but this sort of the uh, it would be akin to John Kennedy challenging um, the, the Americans to get to the moon, right? right? This would be something of an energy independence project, too. Right. I mean, that would be something. I know that I'm, you're hearing more and more about that uh, uh, with mainstream politicians, but we, we desperately need to, to make ourselves um, less vulnerable to the whims of, of the Middle East and of big oil. So That's absolutely right. What would be some of your suggestions? Yeah. Tamara? You know, I'm, I'm tired of listening to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have a whole chapter of uh, how do we get out of this mess in the book. Um, it's the last chapter of the book, but I think there's a couple big ones. Um, we've got to end the debt for diploma system. The reality is too many young people aren't uh, going to college and getting through college because they can't afford it, and we've really uh, uh, made it much more difficult Um so we need to fix that. Uh, we need more grant aid. We need a better balance between the grants and loans that are available to students. Um, we've already touched on a big one. We have got to figure out how to improve the quality of jobs in this country. Um, supporting the right of workers to unionize, I think, has got to be a big part of that, yeah. um, as well as raising the minimum wage, dealing with the health insurance issue. And finally, one thing we didn't get to talk about, which which really impacts young people, is um, helping parents uh, meet their responsibilities as both workers and as parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And the U.S. has a long way to go um, in dealing with the reality that it now takes two parents, that moms are in the workforce when they have small children. And we are alone in the industrialized world in not providing paid family leave or subsidized child care. Yeah. And now uh, tell us a little bit about Demos. Okay. Uh, 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 that's a think tank in New York. Uh, what exactly? Now, you're, uh, the, the economic project of Demos is that's uh, right. it covers a lot more area, I assume? It does. Uh, you know, the goal of the Economic Opportunity Program is really how do we ensure a future middle class in this country and how do we make sure that that future middle class reflects the, the changing face of America. Um, in addition, Demos has a public works project, which is re-examining uh, the role of government in our society, as well as a democracy program that is trying to uh, make the political process and engage people in the political process to make it work for all of us. Well, speaking of that, and you touched on it uh, in your last response, and that is that I can't imagine that it's not a winning formula, a politically effective winning formula for politicians to propose that everyone in America should be able to go to college. The affordability issue for college, not only would it resonate with the students, but I imagine with the parents of these students who are often the, the only source of, uh, of uh, college funds for, for, these, uh, for these kids. Absolutely, why, why and it, it is. And on? if you listen to politicians, um, you know, supposedly George Bush is our um, education. education president. Yeah. 
um, who just, uh, the Republicans in Congress, um, just increased the cost of student loans for students who are in college. Um, so we love to sort of spout the rhetoric, but then when it comes time to shuffle our priorities and make good on on those promises, um, we've been coming up short for the last two decades. Well, what do you mean that they have they raised the the interest rates, or they yes, just they the made it, interest okay. rates are now going to raise on July one. Hmm. Um, so it's going to cost a lot more to take out a federal student loan, and so if uh, people who are listening consolidate before July one and try and lock in a lower rate. Um, but for students just entering the system, uh, the cost of college just got more expensive. Do you have any other practical advice uh, for for people facing these uh, challenges right now? Well, you know, Mary I'm well. not a personal finance <laughs> expert, and the only advice that I yeah. give young people just sort of coming out is if their families live where there's job opportunities, to take advantage of that and yeah. live at home for um, some time so that you can build up uh, some funds before you enter a exorbitant housing market and a labor market that um, is not going to yeah. probably pay you enough to meet all your all your uh, financial commitments. Tamara, why don't you give us some information on your organization, how they can is it, is it at uh, demos.org? Is yeah, the website is demos.org, and if people want to find out more about the book, they can visit the book's website. Uh, they can get there through the Demos website or go directly to strappedthebook.com. Uh-huh. Okay, terrific. Um, well, great. Are, are you, what are you working on? Anything uh, coming up? Uh, did, you're in, in, I guess this is it. I, <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> yeah, this is a big, it's a big thing. And really is. I think we've, uh, we've been talking late the last couple of shows about, the, we talked about the boomers last week, about their legacy, about their political contributions to this country. Uh, and um, it really is uh, a coming of age for, for this, the Y generation uh, and I think they do need to step up and, and really understand where their place is in this society, right? Right. And, and begin to assume some of the some of the the leadership. So absolutely, you know, voting is a right, but it's also a responsibility, right. and right. we need young people to start taking this seriously. Very good. Well, thank you very much for being a part of Weekly Signals, Tamara Jow. My pleasure. The book is strapped. Check it out. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.